Good evening and welcome to Alos of Kumar Takes. This is our 246th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show. I'm so looking, I've been so longing and so looking forward to this conversation for such a long time. It's taken 246 takes to make it happen, but it is going to be well worth it, and it has been well worth it for me, and I know it's going to be well worth it for you all. So thanks for tuning in. We're going to have a great conversation, but before we get to formal introductions of the guests of honor tonight, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible, and if this, of course, is sponsored by our uh, our key sponsors and tonight's show is sponsored by drew estate drew estate has done it again with the girl with no name the robusto extra comes from the deadwood tobacco company by drew estate coming to famous smoke shop yes the regular lineup of deadwood tobacco company by drew estate includes fat bottom betty sweet jane crazy alice and leather rose but deadwood the girl with no name robusto extra is part of drew estate's lineup of limited edition cigars that the company makes exclusively for particular cigar retail shops in this case famous smoke shop will have and be the home for the girl with no name there's something very strange about deadwoods the girl with no name explains von boyd the founder of deadwood tobacco company who partnered with drew estate to interpret the notorious deadwood ladies sultry tales through the world of cigars she is a yummy vixen who's appeared out of nowhere to join her deadwood sisters and is now on the run only a posse of the boldest and most daring desperados have a chance to rope her in. So check out a famous smoke shop for the girl with no name from Deadwood Tobacco Company partnered with Drew Estate. And welcome, everyone. Tonight's take is sponsored, of course. Tonight's guest, of course, is sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today and start living united. Yes, it's Mr. John Huber of Crowned Heads. John, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, great, Bear. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I am doing absolutely fantastic. I've did. A, I had a couple flubs there in the intro, but I think it's because I'm just. I got all the. I got all the nervousness out of the way, so it's fine. So I'm good. I'm good now. Nothing to be nervous about. You got 246 on your 245 under your belt. So I mean, you're a pro at this. Yeah, 200 now, now into 246. And I, I like I, I was telling you before we kind of got started here, and then of course uh, a lot of people who know me have been know that how how much I've been looking forward to this conversation for such a long time. I had the opportunity to interview for the very first time a couple years ago at PCA, and that was a that was a real that was a real privilege and honor for me. And so for you to take time out of your day and and come onto my show, I really really do appreciate it. So. Thank Thank you so much. Truth be told, you're taking time out for me because typically, like, I'm just not available after hours. So I, I sincerely appreciate you making the time for me to, oh, to shoot this today. So um, I've been looking forward to this as well. I think it's long overdue. So I'm excited for our conversation. Absolutely. So I like to get things kicked off with uh, an icebreaker of sorts. But while we're kind of pondering over that question, I do have a tradition here on on LS Fumar Takes where uh, I actually give my guest um, the opportunity to choose my cigar for me. And, uh, um, so I have some choices for you and, uh, and I've got some, I've got some aged gems as well as some hot newness as well. Um, and I think you'll be Mm -hmm. a fan of all of them. So that's, that's a good thing. So, so, um, let's start with the newest of the new, we've got the Le Petitier, uh, uh, Canon, excuse me, I'm going to butcher the Canonazo. Canazo. I've never been able to do that name. That's terrible. Uh, this, but and this is this is the the new one from, of course, uh, your new friends at Noxa, uh, new factory. Fabulous. That you're partnering with, which we'll be talking about here shortly as well. Uh, speaking okay. of delicious and tasty treats, uh, I've got the Le Creme Bellicosofinos, the limited edition, 2022. Uh, lovely, lovely. 
Uh, if you're feeling like giving me a kick, I've got the fork. Yes, I'm going to be punny today. Four kicks, the limited edition mule kick, the 2022 edition as well. Um, but for the vault, I, I opened up. I actually had um, a couple of choices here. This was uh, uh, from December of 2015. The La Imperiosa Magicos. Wow, look at the cello on that thing. Yeah. I'm gonna if you choose that Completely I'll pull it yellow. off. But I got speaking of yellow, uh, I've got another one too as well. I, I believe it's a little faded I'm going, now. I'm gonna guess it's yellow rose. Yes, yeah. it is. Four okay. four fifteen okay. from April. It looks like a four, so I'm wow. gonna say so April two thousand fifteen. So it's uh you know, um eight, year, eight years old. Yeah, eight years of okay. age. Ones. So like I said, pull, well, pull you know, back the, the curtain one... a little. So the, to me, the one that stands out because it's not like the others would be the Le Patissier because it's newer and you could save the uh, vintage selection for a, a later time or maybe you, you're going to two cigars. So why don't we shoot with the Le Patissier Cononazzo? Okay, from sounds Nazi. good. I had the, uh, I've of course smoked the the, the original uh, release from, from two years ago and then I have mm -hmm. not had, um, I had just had the, uh, uh, when we went to the Great Smoke a couple weeks ago, uh, mm -hmm. The opportunity to smoke the new one from the Noxa factory, and uh, I I was uh, very very pleased. So I'm really excited that you chose this. I'm going to be cutting That's this up fun. and opening it up here and lighting it. So um, while we kind of get started here, John and I take care of this. Um, <clears throat> um, what what kind of I know you like you said you kind of don't smoke things with the band on it too much anymore. You're always you yeah. know checking on the status of projects and things like that. That's where uh, most manufacturers spend their time and their days smoking and everything um right but what uh, what kind of cut do you prefer on a cigar if you actually do use a cutter i because i know you probably don't like most manufacturers i but... do use a cutter oh you do okay I, I, all right oh yeah 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 i mean um if i have it at my disposal i'll use a cutter um up until about a, a month or two ago i was using a zycar just like everybody else and then um i got in contact with Fin lam and they were kind enough to send me one of their cutters, and I've been hooked on that ever since. So I've been using the Fiend Long on my my cigars, and it's a, it's perfect. It gives a nice broad cross section, doesn't damage the wrapper. It's just it's the blade is very sharp, and uh, that's what I've been using. Um, I've been but really impressed with that. That said, well. the antithesis this is my lighter. So <laughs> the good old big old school. Yes, sir. It does the trick. It it's fire. You don't have to I, fill it up. That's true. I'm I'm using a lighter right now, uh, but I usually I typically do a match. I'm mm. very old school as well. Um, um, I've I've I don't know. I've just kind of enjoyed lighting cigars with matches for the last few years. It's my, just... my, I'll tell you, my perception with accessories completely changed. Like back in the late '90s, when I first started visiting the factories, and I remember sitting across from Nestor Placencia one time, and I noticed that all he did was pinch the head and then he got a bick and he lit it and i noticed all these guys started doing this like this and like ernie was the same way ernesto press carrillo and i was like if these icons are going to be using a bick who am i to like bust out like a you know a torch triple flame that 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 so it's good enough for them it's good enough for me so i've always been a bick or a Dejeep guy ever since then indeed i i yeah. i think it's for a long time i think it was more it was more about speed for me just being able to light it. But yeah. then I then I started actually using the torch to just cool light my cigars. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even use my mouth. I would just light the light the foot until it actually caught. 
I did that for a while yeah, too. Just toasted a little bit. But once in a while, I use these. If somebody fills them up for me, I mean, we do these all the time with, with in stores and stuff. And actually, somebody did fill this one up, so I'll use this one until it runs out of gas, and then I'll go back to the big. So those are great travel. Pretty boring for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Perfect. So, um, last couple of last minute icebreakers here too. Like, so I've uh, you commented uh, before we got kicked off here about my hat, which is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, it's not the original crowned heads hat that I got. The very first one I got, and I tell the story all the time. He's so sick of me saying this. If he ever ends up when he, when he ends up watching this, because I know he will, uh, is your is your man Brian McGee gave me a La Imperiosa yeah. hat. Um, and that actually fit my huge dome of a head, and I make the, I tell this story what, all the what time. What size? What size fitted? What, what size fitted? This is you? a seven and five eighths, and I'll wear seven and five eighths or seven and three. Oh, that's not huge. Yeah, I mean it's not an eight. Yeah, oh, for anything, I'm not Kevin Mench or anything, but um, but uh, but yeah, it's yeah, I'm a seven and a half. So, but uh, what what are you uh, what are you sporting today? On your hat, my hat. Yes, sir. Oh, this is a uh, Ebbetsfield flannels, 1946 Paris red peppers, I believe. Nice. Just, I, I love Ebbets hats. They're cool. just they make outstanding products, and it's it's been kind of a bucket list checkoff thing for me to be able to do. Uh, I think we've done four or five collaborations now with Ebbetsfield flannels, so it's been fun. Yeah, my, our good uh, your uh, your good cohort and my good friend Miguel Shadell was the one who introduced me to Ebbetsfield flannels and i love their stuff too i've got i've got some of the hats that you've made and then but i've also gotten like uh i have the the montreal royals um hat the jackie okay. robinson um and then i also yeah. have uh the vancouver mounties i really liked that logo as well and then um i've got a lot of i've got probably way too many of their shirts <laughs> but it's a it's a great I, company I probably have maybe 18 of their hats aside from the four or five that we've done together so yeah they're great i've been a fan of theirs since god i think that they've been in existence since 88 or something so i've been a long time admirer of, of uh jerry cone and everything that they've done there it's it's amazing they've really blown up and you're, you're friends with the the folks over at new era too that's how you that's how these came to fruition as well right yeah yeah actually uh dave eichinger is a, a long time friend of mine um he's I, I don't know what his official title is. I kind of tell him that he's our sports marketing guy. Um, that's kind of inside <laughs> joke. But uh, Dave is the guy that if you watch the World Series, the Super Bowl, whatever, whoever's they're handing out hats, that's Dave. Dave knows every everybody's fitted hat size. He makes sure they have the right stock hats and this and that and the other. And he's at the NFL draft. He's at all the stuff that New Era is involved with. And I've I've known Dave since the CAO days, and we've continued to be friends over the years. And so. Um, yeah, that's how that whole collaboration came as uh, into fruition is, is that connection there. So, yeah, I love, uh, a big cigar. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I was going to ask if, uh, if there was a, if it was a, a mutual exchange yeah. of sorts, yeah, definitely. Or, um, we have a, a mutual scholarship program, basically. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm obsessed with hats. Always have been. I think you know that about me too. Um, Miguel and I have always yeah, talked about same. this too. Um, I've, I've I've worn hats for as long as I can remember. I mean, ever since I was a kid, my parents put me in hats before I could even do it myself, and um, and I've just I've just always worn them, just always worn them, and I love them. Yeah, same here. I've been collecting since I was a kid. You know, I've always loved loved hats, and um, 
somebody asked me if I, what I'd be doing if I wasn't doing cigars, I probably would be headwear. I'd probably have a hat company or something. Which, to plug Miguel's hat company, I don't know if you know, but... Yeah, the Herencia 21. Oh, it's beautiful. Fantastic. Yeah. Send me a couple, actually. I, I plugged them on a couple of our Instagrams and great product. Fantastic. Which, what, um, which ones have you, uh, have you rocked? I have, I've, I've missed this video. He's got, he gave me the, the, the all black Mexico and Cuba. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it's just, he did it, he did it right. He's, a, he's a big hat guy too. So he knows, he knows, make sure you get the green under the nice, you know, the, everything's custom. It's, it's really a nice product. It's fantastic. I, uh, recently put in my first order. I couldn't decide. And I couldn't get all of them. Exactly. They're all good. They're all, they're all good. I know. I couldn't they're decide. All, they're all fucking good. That's what I mean. Exactly. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy for him. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, um, well, that will get us into tonight's major point, which is always brought to you by the people. Yes, cigar people. It's the people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is. But behind the hunt fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Bass Reeves, Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol Cigars. So, John, uh, just going into tonight's major point, I wanted to really take a take this opportunity to take a deep dive into your journey. And, I mean, it's been an incredible ride so to speak, and um, you've done so much in your career. I'm going to frame this question probably a little bit differently than you may have imagined it ever asked before. But how okay. does how does one go from being a shipping manager at a cigar company to being known as one of the creative geniuses in the cigar industry? And I know you probably wouldn't put it away that way. I would. So when it comes to how does how does that happen? That's pretty kind. I don't know. That's a bold statement. Um, for me, it just happened with you know just having a lot of luck, luck and hard work, you know, and just really loving what you do. And if you if you love what you do, you know, you're gonna put it in the hours. And if you put in the hours, you're ultimately probably gonna be decent at it. And so when luck meets opportunity, that's pretty much what happened in my case. I mean. I, you know, even when I was at CAO, I had no aspirations of ever having my own brand or anything that wasn't even in my radar. Um, but when the opportunity came about, I, you know, I, I jumped in with both feet and here we are 10, 10, 11 years later. So um, it was, you know, I mean, that's kind of dumbing it down a little bit, but um, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it for sure. There's no question. It's one thing to be given the opportunity. It's another to actually make it work, to grow it, to have the sustainability um, a lot of brands, a lot of companies come and go. It's not an easy task. And, um, it's, it's yeah, like, I, I tell my wife, it's not as easy as it looks. Cause sometimes I don't think she thinks that I work for a living, but um, <laughs> it's a lot of work. There's no question. Yeah. I, I mean, without question, hard work has probably been, probably been a part of you for as long as you can remember. And, and I mean, I was, let's, let's take it back even a step further. I mean, you're like, um, I mean, Nashville's been home for you for for so long that I mean, you probably feel like a Tennessean. But I knew you 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 were born in San Francisco, right? And uh, you grew up in California. Correct. Correct. Um, so what what uh, kind of 
you know, what catapulted you to, to change scenery to the, to the South, so to speak. I mean, that's a, that's gotta be a huge change for a California boy at the time. Oh God. Yeah, it was, man. I, I equated to go, being in the car and going from like fourth gear to first gear without downshifting. It was just like, whoa. Um, yeah. San Francisco till I was 17. I moved out of San Francisco, uh, went down to LA in LA for like a dozen years and then relocated to Nashville. I mean, the, the, the catapult to get out of LA was just cause I had burned out on LA so bad. I was just, you know, it's just, it's a tough place. It really is. It's, it's, it's fun. I don't regret it, but, uh, I needed a change of scenery and, um, one thing led to another. And once I got to Nashville, I was like, okay, now what, what am I going to do? And, it was very serendipitous the way it all kind of happened because I, I just, I mean, I've told the story a hundred times, but you know, I walked into a cigar store to buy cigars as a gift to take back to, uh, to California for Thanksgiving. And, um, and as soon as I walked into this store, like the smell of the cedar and the cigar, the tobacco and everything, I was just like, Whoa, I was just like, it was like an epiphany. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And like, I couldn't wait to come back and like start that whole exploration, that whole journey of cigars. And so I picked up a cigar aficionado magazine, started reading, got my little notebook, started taking, you know, tasting notes, putting the bands in the books and this and that, like everybody else. And <laughs> Sounds like me in college. <laughs> a lot, a lot of self-education. Yeah, man, that was, that was what I was doing. And I was just like, well, how do I get my foot in the door? And I instantly enough, you know, this is again, before the days of like social media, media and all that you, you literally it was a lot more challenging to get in the door so i was like writing letters to every single company i could find in the magazine including cigar aficionado magazine i wrote a letter to, i'll never forget to gordon mott who was a senior editor at the time everybody knows who gordon is and he was kind enough to actually send me a very nice polite rejection letter and um but i mean that's i just i you know what i mean i just, I just trying everything and so i most of the companies never even got back to me. I tried to get a job at the store where I bought the cigars and they wouldn't hire me for $7 an hour as a clerk. <laughs> They're like, no, we don't need you. I'm like, okay. And then I remember discovering CAO was in my backyard. And I was like, I saw the last page in that book, 830 Kendall Drive, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm like, whoa, there's a cigar company that's here. So I cold called them and then, you know, found out the owner's name, John O'Osgener, rest in peace. And, sent John a letter and heard nothing for like four months. And I totally forgot about everything. And, and then one day I got a phone call and it was John asking me to come in and, and for an interview. And that's really how it started. <laughs> and fortunately, fortunately he took a chance on me. He says, I just, I just need a shipping manager. Really? We're just getting started. And I'm like, oh, I'll be the best shipping manager ever. And, you know, I just did anything and everything to finagle my way in the door. And um, he gave me Do you me know anything about at shipping it, at that time? Zero. <laughs> nothing. I knew nothing about logistics, shipping, nothing. And no. that lasted about five months. So, but um, <laughs> fortunately, a lot of opportunities came in at the right time, the right place. I remember um, what the, the real start was. I was listening to a, a local uh, rock format radio station back in the day, and it was 103.3, I think, KDF. And they were doing a promo on the radio and they were giving away two tickets to a closed circuit prize fight and a box of cigars. And it was like, ding. And innocently enough, I pick up the phone, I call the station. I say, Hey, I just heard your promo. You're going to do cigars. Where are you getting these cigars? They're like, we don't know. 
but you know, we just thought it'd be kind of cool, you know, boxing cigars is kind of a guy's thing. And I'm like, well, I get, I got a proposition for you. If I get you two boxes of cigars, retail value of X, give me a couple of spots on the, on, you know, an ad on there and, and promote CAO, this company I'm working for. And I said, okay. So I did that and I recorded it. And then I called the station back and I said, Hey, you know, cigars are kind of a thing right now. Um, maybe you need somebody to come in and just do like a cigar show. And ironically, they just said, okay. So I went in there for like about a month, every, like once a week during drive time. And I did this cigar show thing before I went to CAO and then I'd go to CAO and work. So at the end of this all, like four, six week period, I come in with these cassette tapes. This was on cassette. I play it for Jono and he listens and he's like, this guy's pretty good. Who, who is this guy? I said, this is me. I'm, I've been doing this, you know, behind the scenes. Fantastic. You're now the director of promotions and public relations. You are a terrible shipping manager. I said, okay, great. So that was it. So I was off to the races and I was handling like PR and marketing for CAO back in there. So that's my, my stint as a as shipping manager lasted about five months. And then I was promoted, so to speak. It's pretty awesome. Um, I, I love, uh, I love hearing about the, um, just the, uh, some of those things that they're in there. I think there's a couple things I want to go back to. So your time in LA and everything, I mean, so this was, I guess, prior to your, prior to cigar. So there's probably no, you never ran into Pete Johnson or anything at that point when you're in your time in LA. No, first, the first, the first time I met Pete was actually in Cincinnati at, what was the RTDA, which is now known as the PCA. Um, I just started with CAO like in April. And so by whatever that month was, July or some couple months later, whatever, I was at the, this trade show and I'm like, you know, you trial by fire. They just throw you, Jonah just threw us into this, this whole thing. And I saw Pete and, you know, we each had, back then nobody had tattoos, right? So I had a couple of tattoos that were visible. He did. And it was just kind of one of these things. Like, hey, what's up? You know? And then we just became fast friends. You know, he's like, oh, I'm in L.A. I'm managing Grand Havana. I'm like, well, shoot, I used to live in L.A. And, da, 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 da. and so we had a lot of commonality there. And, and we just became friends right away, you know, from from 96 on. So and we still are, you know, so. But I know to answer your question, I didn't know Pete when I was living in L.A. I wasn't into cigars really at that time. And then once I got to Nashville, then when I would go back to L.A., I would go to like Cigar Warehouse and Sherman Oaks and I would buy, you know, Bahia and all this other stuff. And I was geeking out on all that. Um, but yeah, so interesting. But he is one of those names that I hear constantly from people who were in the industry, you know, quote unquote, back in the day. Um, yeah. And I mean, that. I mean, that's that's still one of the most tragic stories, I feel like. And, and there's been a lot of them. <laughs> there's been a lot of tragic yeah. stories in the cigar industry yeah. i feel like i feel like that's that's the one that always kind of gets brought up by people and um because I, I mean you didn't even talk about the story you just mentioned the cigars i think that the cigars spoke for themselves and it was kind of just like one of those things and just like oh gosh you know that's that's just awful but um i gotta i'll be honest with you if you weren't in the industry at that time i cannot i cannot adequately convey the level of like celebrity or whatever that Tony Barani and Bahia had back then. It was unlike anything today. And I'm being serious about that. Like you would go to a trade show 90, let's say 98. Right. And you couldn't even get within 10 feet of Tony's booth. There were just lines of people around his booth. Like he was like 
it was like Jesus walked into the room. I mean, it was incredible. And it was, he just had that cachet and that brand was amazing. And I mean, they, you know, obviously it didn't end up where we all thought it would, but I mean, to this day, a Bahia Gold Robusto in 1998 was one of the standout cigars in my memory that I've ever smoked. It's just an incredible product. Um, I've I've smoked I smoked Bahia when I first started, and I had had so I've had the opportunity to smoke, it and it was it was great from what I remember. And I just oh, I wish I wish I'd been around to kind of experience it at that level that everyone talks about. It was almost like with the it reference. was it was something different yeah i mean i've done that trade show every year pretty much since 96 and i've never seen anything like the the buzz that was that was bahia or that was tony tony was like on a whole different level man you couldn't even get close to his booth it was just it was insane that's crazy the the other thing i was going to mention too like you 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 mentioned about how you like wrote a letter to Gordon Mott, for example, and all these other great things. Yeah. Uh, um, you, you, you strike me, you know, cause of your, your love for all things vintage and history and, and, and just of such inquisitive taste and everything. Are you, are you, are you much of a nostalgia? Did you keep any of these letters? Was that, you hear about people who keep letters like this to kind of like fuel the fire a little bit. Did you, did you keep any of those? I wish I would have but I didn't, I'm, I don't hold on to a lot of stuff. Like, you know, like I remember the last day at CAO, in fact, um, you know, I just, I literally just closed the door on that chapter. So I took everything that related to that chapter and I just had a big dumpster and just every article, every press clipping, every this, that, and the other, I just, okay, next. I walked out the door. So <laughs> now I didn't hang on to any of that stuff. Yeah. You know? But I think, um, uh... One of the, uh, I do, I keep everything. It's much to my wife's dismay. Um, I, I kind of wish I did, but I, I didn't. So again, I keep go- other stuff that's, that's sentimental, <laughs> but not business. Related, so. um, yeah. I know, I know you're a parent too. So I know you probably have a bunch of your, bunch of your kids stuff just around like drawings and things oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. If I, if I turn this computer around, you would see the entire office is decorated with my daughter's artwork and my son's artwork and so yeah, I'm I'm sentimental with that kind of thing, and yeah. Um, but I don't keep it. You know, I've I've you know I've, I've knew, like I I haven't I don't know you as well as I've known some other the people in the industry, John, and some of some of your coworkers actually, which we'll get to here in just a little bit. But um, you know, I have been a, obviously an observer afar, and I and I said this I said this to Matt Booth, um, and Nick Perdomo recently for a different reason. Uh, Nick Perdomo became a recent grandfather in a couple, the last couple of years, and and uh, Matt Matt and I have kids about the same age, so our uh, his mm-hmm. kid and my oldest are about the same age, and so uh, I I told Nick that grandfather looks great on him, fathering looks great on Matt, and you know from what I've always observed yeah. from you, John, like, fatherhood just looks like it fits you like a glove, you know, just it it just. Oh, thank you, man. That's a compliment. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's my real it's my real job. Like my real job is husband, father, and then this is my day job kind of thing. But uh, I try to keep it in perspective and what's really important at the end of the day. Absolutely. To go back again, one more time to the cigar aficionado piece. So you, you, you said you, you remember picking it up when you were first getting into cigars. Mm-hmm. Have you ever reflected back on that? I mean, you've had several top 25 cigars for them. I mean, that's got to be a huge 
I know that's a huge honor for you. I mean, does it ever kind of struck you as like, wow, you know, I was reading this magazine and now my cigars are, are being heralded as some of the best of the year by them. No, not so much really, to be honest with you. Um, what does impact me is like, just like, you know, like working with somebody like Ernesto, you know, and I, I shared this with him, you know, not too long ago. And I was like, I remember reading about you when I was coming up and before I even got in the industry about, you know, him selling La Gloria Cubana. And, and he was like, always like, I was like, wow, like, you know, he's like one of my heroes kind of thing. And then being able to text him back and forth about blends and working with him, that's kind of like a pinch me moment, yeah. right? That, uh, that, that kind of resonates more than, than the top 25 stuff. I mean, that's not really that big of a deal to me at the end of the day. I mean, I'm grateful for the recognition from CA, but, um, it, that's not really what, what drives me to be honest, that, but it's the people for in me. the business that do. That would be for me too. Yeah. I, 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 I've had the opportunity to meet Ernesto. That was a, that was one of those pinch me moments too. And, and, uh, uh, my good part, uh, my good friend and partner, uh, cigar coop, who, you know, as well, uh, on cigar coop, yeah. Drive, Drive Special. he calls them bear moments when I have these, these, these kind of moments where with people that I've always wanted to meet and have conversations with. And, um, you know, for you mentioned uh and i know how much you know we've mentioned the term reverence in, in terms of, of tony but i mean i know the incredible love and respect and reverence that you have for the oz jenner family and the opportunity that they gave you what um you know he took a chance on you obviously you have a it probably had a, a wonderful loyalty to him for that but like how did the how did it more from employer employee relationship to to the bond to where i don't know it feels like you know you and tim are extended family or if we're maybe not even extended family more like close-knit family now it's like you guys are adopted right. into each other's clan so to speak how did yeah. that well i mean i i've known you know tim and his family's longer than you know i've known anything i mean they've been with me since day one so um it's just you know god it was just CAO was such a different experience, really. It was it was not like a job. It was like you were a part of an extended family. We spent so much time together building that and had so much fun together building that, that you just, you, those bonds never get broken. Even when Tim, Tim took off for a dozen years and was doing Oz Arts, you know, I mean, it's, it's just when he came back uh, last year, it was like, you know, nothing ever changed, really, to be honest. Um, you just you just have so much in the memory bank that just you know that, that never goes away and and it's just uh, it was a really special time it's like I tell people you know CAO was like my undergrad degree and crown heads was like my graduate degree in the business but mm -hmm. I mean where did I have more fun probably at CAO because it was like you know we just loved doing what we did and we were all like the, all the reps and everybody that worked together. We were all like, it was like a fraternity, you know, we just had so much fun together and some of the best days of my life, really. And then once it shifted to become crowned heads and Mike and I went off on our own and started this thing, it was like, it was a different thing. It was, it was great. I loved the opportunity, but it was also a lot more pressure because at CAO, as long as you did your job and you know, you're good at it, you, you got paid and that was it. Now, in this new place, it's like, well, it's not new anymore, but um, in this circumstance of, of being a business owner or a co-owner, 
you have that pressure to create constantly and you have this pressure to not only provide for your family, but for, for the families of all your employees and everybody else. So it's a whole different dynamic. It's one of those, be careful what you wish for, cause you might get it kind of a thing. Um, there's, there's a lot of pressure to it that never really goes away. And even when you're doing good, it's like, you're always waiting for the other foot to drop. Like, okay, you know, we're doing good, but so it's, it's, I mean, I wouldn't trade it, but um, CAO was just a very special time. I will say that. You seem like you do put a lot of pressure on yourself um, in a good way, right? I feel like you're always working and always building like we, we've kind of alluded to a little bit in this conversation. The um, I'm going to step off camera. I need to mm -hmm. grab a water for a second. So I'm here, but, um, but I wanted sure. to start with this question. Talk to me about the sale. So in two, December, was, I believe it was two, December 2010 was when uh, uh, was your last day. The sale took place before that, obviously. But mm -hmm. I believe the last day at CAO for you was December of 2010. And then yeah. November of 2011, so almost a year later, was when the first Crowned Heads cigars actually shipped. Um, Correct. I mean, was that a was that an emotional time for you or was that just like a, um, were you, you know, were you full, you know, full force ahead, like all steam, you know, all engines for go. I can't even think of a right good metaphor here, John. Uh, yeah. You, were you just yeah. focused on the, were you just focused on the next thing with, uh, with Mike, which we'll, we'll get to your relationship with Mike here in a second. Sure. Yeah, no, it was definitely like, I was focused completely on what's ahead. I mean, I just really stepped aside from, you know, like I said, metaphorically and realistically, I just I put everything in a dumpster and said, OK, that chapter is closed. Now I'm going on with crown heads and it became all all systems go on crown heads. And so my focus was entirely on creating and the future and how we're going to build this thing. And um, it was just it was just a, a matter of really closing that chapter of CAO and then starting the new chapter of crown heads, you know, 100 percent. There was no. I didn't have any misgivings or anything about, you know, what happened at CAO. It's like, you know, Oscar and her family got paid good for them. They deserved it, you know? And, and I was like, okay, it's on to the next one basically. So. I have this theory that, um, and you don't have to confirm or deny it either way, but I have this theory that John mm -hmm. Huber might be the very big reason why uh, uh, NDAs exist in the cigar industry. <laughs> Because you had such a great turnaround of success. Because you had a great, such a great turnaround of um, success that I'm sure that I'm yeah. sure in hindsight, uh, the parent company who bought CAO would have thought, man, maybe, maybe we should have locked this guy down a little bit. And, uh, uh, and I, uh, I'm, I'm glad they didn't, to be honest with you. Um, of course. You know, yeah, me they, too. They, they never asked me to. I remember uh, the gentleman that, that, that did the exit interview at CAO offered some of us positions and it was very informal. It was like, Hey, you know, Richmond's a great place to live. You want to come work? And I'm like, no, well, give us some time. Think about it. I'm like, no, I'm done. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I'm done. And that was about as, as detailed as it got. And it, there was some requirements that we had to do over the you know, next 10 months or whatever, in order to get our severance pay. Um, and once we met all those requirements, we were able to leave in December. So, um, 2010 was uh was pretty much uh, can i it was like an f off year for us it was just like okay we knew the doors were closing you know let's just have a good time on the way out it was kind of like you're on the titanic and you can let's let's have some drinks and play the violin because <laughs> the ship is sinking so 
that was the mentality of the entire year. And then, um, then we started the ground running like four days later, Mike, and after I left the, the building, Mike and I had our first meetings. Uh, it was like, I think our last day was the, the December 17th, I think, or the 10th or something like that. And four days later, we were having meetings about what would become crown heads. So yeah, we were off to the races. So that was good. I know Mike's always kind of been in that, the behind the scenes type and everything. I had the good fortune of meeting him yeah. um, a few, a few trade shows ago as well. And um, mm-hmm. I, I think I may have shared the story with you before. So I, I apologize uh, for repeating myself a couple of times here, but I still find it, I still find it a little bit of comic relief. Cause like I said, I've been an observer of you from afar for, for, for quite some time, a huge fan of crowned heads and, and CAO for, for years. And uh, um, when I knew that, John Huber and Mike Condor partnered to form crown heads. That was, that's, that was the extent of my knowledge. And I knew who you were and I knew what you looked like. We talked about the tattoos and everything earlier. I had this vision of Mike Condor. And when I met Mike Condor, he was nothing like that vision whatsoever. Uh, And uh, I was really kind of taken aback. We're like the odd couple. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're we're definitely the odd couple for sure. No question. Um, But no, I mean, Mike, uh, Mike came on to CAO as, as a consultant initially back in the early 2000s and then eventually uh, became full time. And then when we were acquired by Henry Winterman's, uh, there was a restructuring and the restructuring was that Mike would be in charge of the marketing department. So he then became my boss. Mm-hmm. And so and which I was elated with because I had a, a great friendly relationship with Mike. We always got on, even though we're polar opposites appearance wise, we always got on really well. And um, I respected his business acumen and I knew I could learn a lot from him. So um, I was like tickled. They were like, you know, hey, Mike's your new boss. You have a problem with that? I'm like, no, not at all. Let's go. You know, and um, we had a good run at it. And then, uh, you know, when we knew. The end was near, basically. Um, you know, I, I really, a lot of people speculated what I was going to do, and I really didn't know what I was going to do. I, my only focus was, I always have this saying of, you know, ride the wave all the way to the shore. Like, you know, finish what you started. Just So I'm just going to, everything else will take care of itself. I'll figure it out. And innocently enough, I did. And Mike just kind of approached me very, you know, casually, like, hey, you know, when this is done, do you want to do something? I'm like, yeah, okay. And that was as formalized as it got. And then, um, then it, of course, it became a little bit more structured in terms of, you know, actually formulating the LLC and, you know, uh, the shares and the this, the that, and the salaries and whatever, and positions and what have you. So, um, yeah, but it worked out well. I mean, it's been great. He's He's been a mentor. He's been a friend. Um, he's been very supportive of me and my family. So I'm, I'm grateful to work with somebody like Mike. Plus, he's, you know, he's got so much experience. I mean, a lot of people don't know Mike's background to the extent that, you know, I do, but I mean, he started off in retail when he was like, I think 17 years old. And then from retail, he started working for general in the, you know, the good old days, you know, and um, with the Coleman's and all that and tells me great stories about those days. So he has a huge, you know, data bank of, of experience to draw upon. And I constantly learn stuff from him all the time. So, you know, it's it's interesting um but when we first started working together it was it was interesting i remember there was a few days in the first year where like i i can i think i've matured a little bit i think mike would even say that but i mean there was a point where like i would like be throwing cha- i literally threw a chair across the room i remember that that had a fit about 
something just because I'm a I'm kind of more of a creative and impulsive. And I was just like, I was like pissed and I was like, fuck this. And I was throwing chairs. And so now I'd like to think that I've matured over the last decade. And so we have a really good working relationship. It's been a long time since your last chair thrown. (laughs) Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. There's had some lifestyle changes too over the years, which have helped. So (laughs) put it that way. Yeah. The, um, what would you say is the, uh, I, I guess the, there, cause there's so many inspirations. If I, I cause as I was just kind of looking back to the beginning and how it's kind of evolved and, and there really hasn't been too much evolution in the sense of like departure from the early days of crowned heads in terms of like themes and inspiration there, mm-hmm. you know, um, music of course, uh, is, is a, is a heavy part of it. You know, we've got the, of course, your portrait in the back, the portrait in the background that's uh, very famous in the the story, uh, the storytelling of, of some of your cigars. And, um, mm-hmm. but what would you say was a, you know, the like when you Mike, you and Mike sat down from the creative aspect, like, hey, we want to build cigars around this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, the, the truth is that we spent about the first three weeks of meeting together um cigars per se it was more about establishing the ethos and the core values of what would become crowned heads and i was very clear with mike like i'll do this but i don't want to create cao 2.0 i want to do things differently if you give me that latitude then i'm in um and what i my vision was to create an aspirational brand um and by that i mean you know like i use harley davidson as a great you know, a role model of, of aspiration. Like even though somebody may not ride a bike, they still aspire to that lifestyle, to that brand. They might wear the clothing or what have you. Um, and they just vibe with what Harley stands for. So the whole carve your own path mantra kind of became part and parcel to us because my vision was like to use crown heads as like inspiration is anybody out there like that could say like, Hey, I've always wanted to start my own whiskey or I wanted to start my own cigar company or my own coffee company, or I wanted to do this, that, and the other, but they were just always too timid to try. And I felt like if we could be successful, they could look at these two guys from Tennessee started a premium cigar company and had a good run at it. And Hey, if they can do it, we can do it too. So I wanted people to aspire to that message that, I wanted the crown heads to be inspirational and aspirational. So it was more than just cigars. Um, and that was the first three weeks of our, our chapters is defining what that was. And we felt like if everything we did kind of was in line with that ethos and that would be our guide, that would be our foundation going forward. So that's kind of where it all started. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that, I'm, and then of course the decision was made very similar to your time at CAO and what the Osterner family did. You guys decided to partner with different manufacturers rather than build your own factory from the ground up and things like that. What uh, you know, how, the decision to work with Ernesto Perez Carrillo Jr. Uh, I mean, it seems like an obvious one in retrospect, but how how did that relationship start? So, you know, we didn't know who was going to make the first cigar. And um, Mike and I took off, I think it was like March or April of, of 2011. And we went down to Central America and started visiting factories and, and what have you. And, and a gentleman by the name of Gustavo Cura was very instrumental in giving us entree into various factories and meeting with different people and different processing places and, and 
what have you um, to kind of just call all these opportunities together because because of our experience at CAO and our connections and what have you, a lot of doors were opened for us and we had some opportunities. It was up to us to come back from that trip and really kind of call it down to figure out, okay, what is the right move? And we met with a lot of people and visited a lot of factories. Um, but ironically, on that trip, we had to go through Miami. Um, and when we were in Miami, Mike says, let me call up Ernie because he was close with Ernesto. Let's just have dinner with him. And we did. We had a very informal dinner with him and his son. And, you know, he, he basically was just kind of like, this is cool. You know, if there's anything you guys need, let me know, whatever. But there was no formal talk of doing a cigar together. So when we got back from that trip, we literally took like these huge sheets of white paper and we had like a rating system of like four or five different categories, one through 10, as far as opportunities, we would rate each factor, each, each opportunity, everything from like cigars rated to how many brands were in the house to relationship, to trust, all this kind of a thing. And when we, we literally scored it, like you would rate a cigar. And when we did that exercise at the end of it, it was Ernie. And we're like, okay, well, Ernesto is the guy. Well, now will he make a cigar for us? And that was the question because at that point, he wasn't doing any contract brands. He had just started EPC um, in 2009. Mm -hmm. And so this is, you know, 11. And so we were like, well, let's ask him. And so he said yes with a condition. The condition was that we would have to come down there and we would literally have to build the car as opposed to him selling us a car off the lot. That's the best analogy I could use. Okay. And that's exactly what I wanted to hear. I mean, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And he said, look, if this thing is successful, good for you. If it doesn't work, it's on you, not me. And that's exactly what, that's what I wanted to hear. Because as soon as it was announced, it was announced in Cigar Insider, I think, that we were starting this company in, in February of 11. It was announced. And literally, like, my phone was ringing, like, the next day. And, and we had some very prominent people, like, saying, hey, I had one guy say, look, I've got the cigar for you. All you need to do is come up with a good name and a, a band and we'll make a million dollars. And I, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to literally build build the car myself. And so the, we went to school, basically. I went back down with Ernie and he was like, you know, we were like validating tobacco from, from Finca to Finca, from region to region. And he's like, show me this, show me that, how to validate by smelling and, and just, you know, inhaling and all these different things that he taught me. And that's how we built Four Kicks. And um, Four Kicks became our first release, which, to your point, started shipping in November of 11. And it, it met with pretty good acclaim. I mean, we got a good vertical out of C, uh, CI at the time. It was a featured cigar. And a lot of people were talking about Four Kicks and created a lot of buzz. And, um, and that was it. I remember we started shipping literally to 66 doors across the country. And that was our, our humble start. And now we're in... I think over 1200 and we're also international as well now, obviously. So it's been a, wow. it's been a ride. Like you said, I, uh, I, I've, I can, I can honestly say I've been a fan of like most of the cigars that you've released, like I, that are there. When I say a fan, like they are in my rotation, I've bought boxes. They've, they've, they've been, they've kind of hit the palette all across the way and everything. Um, across the scope of all of them there's been a couple of exceptions which you know no no one's perfect and my palate certainly isn't akin to everything that everybody makes and everything but what's interesting um 
I, I find it interesting that I always, I've always said this, that it wasn't until a few years later, we'll talk about the cigar that kind of supplanted it, but like with you and like, for example, Steve Saka with Sober Mason, Four Kicks, I've, I've always gravitated to the OG. The original one has always spoke to me, spoke to my palate, hit it. I love going back to it. I love smoking it. Um, but I'm going to get even more specific with you. The Sublime size or what? Mm-hmm as Gringos would call sublime size. Right, right, um, right. How how did that come to fruit? Because uh, I, 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 you seem to, everything has been a cognizant and a very precise decision by you and Mike. And especially yeah, yeah. from the creative aspect, that's definitely been your your avenue as well. Like, what what was it about the sublime size that was like, this is going to, because it became an overarching theme throughout. I mean, you have, not not every line you've created has that size, but a considerable amount of them do. The one size that actually I kept consistent aside from like a Robusto was that five and five eighths 46, the original Corona Gorda, because that has always been like my personal favorite Vitola. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the CAO days, like the, the last brand that I really had my fingerprints on was a brand called La Traviata. And oh, La Traviata gosh. was, was so yeah, good. So that cigar, um, ironically it was you know tim at that time was doing all the product development but he had to take off for like three months he had to go back to turkey to get his to i think he actually had to go in the army or something like that um to keep his dual citizenship his passport what have you and so they kind of like tasked me to you know oversee la traviata and i'm like okay bare bones packaging we're going to do a corona board of five five h 40 i really this is what i saw and what i wanted to do in it and that was some pretty good success. And so I've always been a fan of that that uh, that particular Vitola. So I kept that current. As far as the Sublime, I think that was more Ernesto's suggestion. You know, he's more of the larger ring gauge guy um, than I am, than I have been. And so he kind of turned me on to that 654. And um, so we started very, very small. I think we started with a Corona Gorda 55846, a, a Robusto. Um and I threw a pyramida in there as well, like a six and a quarter, 52, and then the Sublime 654. And those were the four Vitolas that we started shipping to 66 stores across the country. And then it's just kind of, you know, the rest is history, I guess you can say. Yeah. I but yeah, the, I, that I, I give her any of the, it's, it's a great size. It's, it's funny because now, you know, 11 years later, that's probably what people would call a Toro or something. But to me, that was like a huge cigar back then. I was like 654. Oh my God. You know? But um, now it's kind of like pretty average, I guess. I don't know. I know you got talked to do a 60 gauge years later, which we won't digress into too much. But <laughs> uh, uh, so the, the 50, uh, in retrospect, the 54 definitely looks <laughs> looks a lot more appropriate yeah. Uh, yeah. by comparison. So we're going to take a quick break here, uh, John, talk about a couple of uh, what I call my fun segments here. Um, Okay. And uh, don't worry, the first one is multiple choice. So we are going to go back to school a little bit. Um, and that is okay. part of our United Cigar Presidential Trivia segment, which is always brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Giana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron. Everyone, we really, um, and now the new Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united. Um now, John, you've known Miguel for years, uh, and just like him, I am a I am a fiend for presidential trivia. Uh, and mm-hmm. Oliver uh, Nouveau of United Cigar was kind enough to 
put this segment together with me. And so we get to go back to school and, and talk a little presidential trivia with guests and everything. And so I have a, I have a question that uh, pertains to you on a couple of levels. One is music and okay. the other, the other is your namesake. So, um, and then if, uh, let me go ahead and bring it up here. Um, so it, it happens to be about John Tyler. President John Tyler, of course, our 10th, uh, our 10th president. But before he became president, he was inspired to be a concert musician in with what instrument? Was it A, the violin, B, the guitar, or C, the piano? Jeez. This is terrible. I'm like such an idiot with this stuff. I'm going to go with uh, piano. I what wondered I get, if that was, I wondered if that was going to throw you off because the piano like it, it seems like an obvious choice and everything especially back then. Um, it, it's actually violin. The, it was actually the violin. Yes, it was actually the violin. violin. I maybe I made it too hard. Okay. I'm sorry. What's interesting right. about the guitar? Right. So he he actually quit the violin when he went into law and then eventually mm -hmm. politics and and everything. Uh, but after he left the White House, he actually became uh, um, he. Uh, not a concert, but he would he would do regular performances of violin, and he would he would uh, do duets with his wife, who was actually a guitarist. So, um, fun fun little fact there. Fun fact. Yeah, never would have uh, guessed that. I think you'll appreciate. Uh, I was kind of thinking about presidents and, and musicians and stuff when I was thinking about this question for you and everything, and I I think you'll get a kick out of uh, um, Harry Truman. Uh, he, he was once quoted is saying my choice early in life was either to be a piano player in a whorehouse or a politician. And to tell you the truth, there really isn't any difference. So, so I thought you might get a kick okay. out of Harry Truman, uh, who uh, played piano throughout his life and, uh, and, uh, and enter frequently entertained guests, guests at the white house and everything. So um, now do you, do you play, do you play uh, any musical instruments or do you just have enough, do you just have a, wonderful affinity for for music itself wonderful affinity for music itself is the answer to that question absolutely yeah i mean um not to say i didn't try uh, when i was a kid i mean all I, the first thing i can remember ever wanting to do was play drums when i was like five and i would i was that kid that pulled the the, the pots out and with the spoons or you know constantly and I remember getting a drum set when I was like five for Christmas and every day I would come home from school, turn on the radio and just start playing, 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 playing. And then one day I came home and where's the drum kit? What happened to it? You know, <laughs> um, obviously it was creating too much racket. So it got, it got, uh, got disposed of. So I wonder, I always wonder what would have happened if rather than, you know, throwing my drum kit off, they had encouraged me to, to continue drumming because have a pretty good natural rhythm and a good, you know, I remember being in college sitting in my dorm room and just tapping on something. And one of the guys that was in the drum line for the, for the marching band said, why don't you audition? And I'm like, I've never played drums in my life. They're like, no, you're good. You could, you could play. And I'm like, nah. So yeah, no, it was. And then I took guitar lessons for a stint when I was like fifth grade, I wanted to play guitar. And this is a funny story because I, I took lessons every Saturday at this church. This guy would would teach, and I went for about three weeks, and I practiced and I did all this, and he he couldn't figure out why I couldn't get it. And then, like on the fourth week, he realized that I was playing the guitar upside down because I was playing it left-handed. I'm like, it <laughs> took this guy three weeks to see that I'm playing the guitar backwards, so all the chords were upside down. 
so I was like, okay, that's, you know, and that was about the end of my musical uh, endeavors. But I, I love music. I've always loved music. I, I read an interview with you one t- uh, of yours one time where you, I think someone was asking you about music and you mentioned like your recent Spotify playlist included such an eclectic group of artists. If I remember some of the band, and if, if, if I choose one of the bands you didn't like, I apologize, but if I remember them correctly, right. I mean, there was everything from, there was the Strokes, Jack Johnson, yeah. the Eagles, uh, Parliament, yeah. Funkadelic, Louis yeah, Armstrong, yeah. like the yeah. Breeders, um, Breeders, definitely, yeah. Um, I still listen to all that stuff. Yeah, the Pixies. I like... mean, I would, I would add a little bit. Of, yeah, there's a lot of old stuff like that I listen to. Um, but you know, now I listen to like ASAP Rocky, uh, Kendrick Lamar, a lot of the the stuff that I I kind of grew up on, like Jay Z, Tupac, Biggie. Um, I mean, the first album I ever bought when I was a kid was Parliament Mothership Connection. So I was a big Parliament fucking delic. Bootsy Collins, and that was the kind of music I grew up on. Um, and then later on, I got into rap and hip hop. You know, you know, everything from shoot, you know, Wu Tang to you know, you, on and on. And so I, I still listen to that stuff all the time. As far as the new music goes, I haven't really vibed with a lot of new new stuff. Uh, Kendrick might be new, I guess, maybe not. Um, I, you know, it's funny. My my wife kind of like influences my my music sometimes, and so she turned me on to Maniskin. I think they're pretty good, but um, other than that, it's like I I just find myself going back to the old stuff. But it it the old stuff is diverse. I mean, I if I could pull up my Spotify, what I've been listening to, it's just I'll see what's on repeat. But um, yeah, it's just I I listen to everything except country, ironically, right? So. Is cash being the exception? Yeah, so to that I've got or like on my on repeat cash list. Rock? No, I, I, no, I consider cash like, like kind of like outlaw country, like him and Waylon and those kind of guys. Uh, I would listen to that. I think they're cool, but like new country, just doesn't do it for me. But like on my repeat list, I've got the Breeders, Gorillas, Method Man, Buster Rhymes, ASAP Rocky, uh, Yellow Wolf, Caskey, Stone Temple Pilots, EPMD. La Cosa Nostra, Lincoln Park, uh, Blur, <laughs> Kanye West, Billy Bragg Wilco, Pretenders, Tyler the Creator, Beastie Boys, Tribe Call Quest, Travis Scott. Uh, what else we got on here? I got Cypress Hill, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, more Blur, <laughs> Tom Petty, Heartbreakers. Yeah, so it's it's all over the, the board here. Uh, Grupo Maximo. Uh yeah, so it's it's eclectic. I'm I'm the same <laughs> way. I'm sure. a very eclectic listener. I'm not a huge like I'm not a huge consumer of music. Like I'm not one of those people that remembers albums too much. Like or like you know I, mm-hmm. I mean I, I remember the first CD I bought. You know and that t- tells you a little bit ages me a little bit um about what my first album was and it was it, it was country much to your dismay um but it <laughs> but <laughs> it's never been uh it. Yeah, music's never been like I've never been just a huge consumer of it where I've just gone out and bought stuff. I went yeah. to concerts when I was young. I've always liked a lot of different things and I've been to a lot of different kinds of concerts. So, um people always said like you that that I have an like you have a great appreciation for music. And I'm like I do. Um I just feel like my I have an encyclopedic knowledge about a lot of things or I have a lot of passion about a lot of things, cigars, baseball, you know, history. 
Uh, and that's what I think I've dedicated my brain space to. So I think that just, you know, music sure. got moved to the side somewhat a little bit, you know, but. Um, yeah. The thing with music, I, I can listen to a song and it takes me back to a place. You know what I mean? It puts me in a different mindset or in a creative mode or what have you. So I just, I found myself listening to a lot of music and then I'll just go down a rabbit hole. Like, you know, I'll start listening to interviews with the bass player from Stone Temple Pilots on the way to work. That's what I listened to today. I listened to uh, an interview this guy did. Uh, I think his name was Bob DeLeo. And he was just talking about different bass lines that he created when they were, when they were recording core in purple. And it was just, I don't know. It's just something about that creative process just kind of makes me, just kind of gets me. I like it. Awesome. Um, well, that was our uh, presidential trivia segment, which is always brought to you by United which Cigars. I sucked at. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got we, we United we, Cigars. We got like we got moron. we got you there. We got you there. Uh, it was more just it was more of a foray mm-hmm. and a tool to get us into a little bit of music conversation too. So, but uh, as always, our presidential trivia segment is brought to you by. Uh, brought to you by uh, United Cigars, featuring La Giana Ivana, Jose Domingos, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united. And look forward to June four, uh, back to June uh, as we will start our 20 Days of Freedom uh, campaign with uh, United Cigars. Uh, there are 20 cigars in a United Cigar box, and we'll be celebrating from Flag Day to our nation's Independence Day, July 4th, with a cigar, a United Cigar each day. More details to come on that, so you want to check that out, uh, coming from United Cigars and uh, us here at Ellis Fumartic. So it'll be a lot of fun, and a lot of history will be shared uh, during those 20 days. So uh, look forward to that. Um John, moving on to, you know, we were talking a little bit about your, obviously, relationship with Tim and, and, and John O. Oz Jenner and the Oz Jenner family and everything. Um, this is a, a special segment that I've done every show, too. And I, with your uh, your blessing and permission, I actually chose a charity for us. We do a charity segment here every week. And uh, I thought it would be a good idea to, uh, to uh, kind of spotlight a little bit the Turkish uh, philanthropy funds that uh, that Tim is dedicating a lot of the proceeds from Bosphorus to to help out the people that were uh, unfortunately affected by that ungodly earthquake that happened in uh, in Turkey uh, not too long ago. So um, I, I know it's his his uh, project and everything. So I won't ask you to to speak about it, but um, I know you have a heart for charity, and I know that that stems you know probably an influence a lot from from the Oz Jenner family because they've always had a mind for charity and everything, but um mm-hmm. did i mean have you always had a did you have a charitable upbringing that also kind of influenced it as well and you know or has that uh was that kind of fostered during your time at cao and, and what... i remember coming up like my my grandmother we never we didn't have a lot of money or anything but you know what little they did they would always donate to saint jude's um and so there was always that, you know, idea of, of giving and, you know, we, my family donates to a, uh, a church that, that does uh, work in Africa and, and brings, you know, well water to, to poor people in Africa and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, and CAO, like I remember we did something for the Haiti Relief Fund. Um, there was always a little bit of something that John would always give back. So it was, it was good to, to see that and to always be cognizant of trying to, you know, uh, help others that are, are less fortunate, 100%. We'll have the link to donate to the Turkish Philanthropy Funds in the show notes, and you will be able to check that out. It's a great cause, obviously. Um, yes. You know, initial reports of 35,000 people who lost their life. I mean, that's uh, 
I mean, that's more than more. That's most than more. Most that's more people than most small towns here in our country, um, which is just yeah. unbelievable when you think about the yeah. amount of turmoil. Um, the I, I just to reflect on 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 Jan O. Osjener for a second. You know, I remembered when, unfortunately, when he passed away, um, I remember reading his obituary, and the there were a lot of things that you could have put a title on a man of his stature. Um, but the the word that accompanied him, his name, which I thought was very, you know, was very spot on, was philanthropist. And I really, mm-hmm. um, I had known that to some extent, you know, during my time of, you know, smoking his cigars and, and knowing a little bit of him during that time. But um, it was only in his death, unfortunately, that I learned about just all the incredible work that he did with, you know, within the arts community mm-hmm. and philanthropy and everything like that. Um and uh, that must have been, uh, um, you know, that's got to be a, a huge inspiration for what you continue to do today with Crown Heads and everything. Yeah, you know, for those that were fortunate to know him, you know, on a day to day basis, it's like Jono to me was much more than a cigar guy. He was like a spiritual Buddha of sorts. Like he was like this, he just had this calming presence about him. You know, he I never saw him like upset. He was always very like even very like just meditative, um, but very inspirational. Like, you know, some of the mantras that he taught us were, uh, you know, um, make it happen. That was one of the things he'd always say, make it happen. And that really influenced my life a lot because he basically said, you know, anything that you can conceive and believe you will achieve if you put your mind to it. You know, it's the, the world is a blank check and you can write in your amount. And he was a living example of that, really, you know, and, you know, I remember to give you a concrete example of that one day we were in the office and um, this is back, I guess, in the 90s, um, maybe early 2000s. And somebody had mentioned that they were smoking cigars on this HBO show called The Sopranos. And um, somebody said, why don't we get our cigars in The Sopranos? And here's this little you know, startup company in Nashville. And um, John said, make it happen. And I'm just like, okay. And that was the naivete that we had. Like, you know, you could just do whatever. Just go do it. And at that time, I had been in communication with a product placement company in Southern California called UPP. And I remember this guy had been pitching me like, hey, you know, we can get your product on. The way those things were structured back then were like, if you give them a check for X, they will say, well, we'll place you in seven different places. But you didn't have the 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 right to say where you were going to be placed, they would just place you. So I decided, you know, naively enough to go back and I said, Hey, you know, if I wanted one spot, what would it cost? And I'm going to be selective about that spot. And they said, well, we want to do it. So I want to get on the Sopranos and we negotiated a contract and that led us to getting our cigars in the Sopranos. Oh, wow. And then that, that evolved into a relationship with HBO that they contacted us to do a licensing deal for CAO, the Sopranos edition. And so that led to that opportunity. And then we became friends with like James Gandolfini and the cast. And then we brought him into the night to remember dinner for cigar aficionado magazine. And so, I mean, it all started with that innocent enough idea of just make it happen. And had that not been the the mantra, like, you know, nobody would have ever done anything, but it just taught me that yeah, you can you can do things. You just you just have to believe and just go for it. Because I mean, 
I've always looked at it like, you know, if, if you had a room of a hundred people and you told, you know, a hundred people to go for this, they, 90 of them are going to right away go, Oh, that'll never happen. I'm not going to do it. So now your odds are one in 10 that you can do it. So your, your odds become much better because most people are just going to be too afraid to fail. So it was, it was a, definitely a, a life lesson that he taught for sure. Um, that's awesome. I, 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 I remember the project of course and everything. Um, but that's, that's awesome to know the backstory, everything you said, did you, I, I know obviously he's passed on as well too. Did, did you end up building a, a, a friendship with James Gandolfini or is it just a business relationship uh, over time or? It was, it was business, but, um, he's, I still have his, his old cell number in my phone and just don't delete it just for whatever reason. And, um, when that night to remember dinner came about, I was in contact with his assistant to get him from point A. I was in Nashville. I didn't get to go to the dinner, of course, but I was the guy that was tasked with getting him from point A to point B for that dinner. And so I remember texting his assistant back and forth and then texting him. And eventually um, he did get to the dinner, obviously. But uh, so I did a lot of logistics on that. And then like about six months later, I had to go out to Vegas to do, um, like this, they were doing this unveiling of a Sopranos slot machine thing, and they had hired some of the cast to be there. And then we came in with the cigars, and so they were taking photos and stuff. And I remember um, that there was at one point where they had us all standing up and taking our picture, and I stood next to James Gandolfini, and I just was like, I'm standing there, and he's like standing next to me, and he just leaned into me and whispered in my ear because I I never smile in pictures because I just I don't like my smile, and I'm just I'm kind of like. I'm not a big smiling guy. And Alan, he just whispered in my ear. He's like, he goes, you look like you're having about as much fun as I am being here. And I said, yeah, I guess so. You know, and that was just, it was just kind of cool. That was a kind of a moment. And so, and I still have that picture somewhere. I don't know where, but um, that was about my extent of, uh, of, of meeting him and, and, you know, but seemed like a nice guy for sure. Um. Still didn't know the backstory of that. That's really cool. Um, he see he seems like that the type that would say something like that. So that sounds that's very yeah. that's very apropos. Um, yeah, I mean, he the night of the night to remember dinner. I remember was uh, he was more concerned about being at his son's karate practice than you know he was like he he wasn't going to leave until his son was finished with karate. So he was there in Manhattan watching that, and it was like, hey, you got to get ready. You got to go put on the tux. You got to go be at you know Marriott Market here or wherever it was and so he was like when i'm done you know kind of thing it was his kid was more important to him than that and i that spoke volumes to me so great lesson there um so going back into to obviously the beginnings of crowned heads and everything so um other chord lines followed the four kicks of course uh and then um headley grange jd howard reserve and then um and then you decide to partner with uh, another acclaimed cigar maker, um, Dom yeah. Pekin Garcia. Um, the Jericho Hill probably, I think, um, from my memory and my time, there there have been stars of the trade show, and I can remember quite a few of them over the years and everything. But I think the Jericho Hill, um, if you'll permit me here, John, I think was the first one that going in was the one that everyone was talking about and had the buzz. And then it, like, it also, for me, it was the one that also, and for many, I think, well, mo a lot of people will agree with me. That it was the one that actually delivered. 
it did both. It, it went in as the headliner and then kind of came out as the, as the headliner as well. And, and I mean, it was just a incredible, it's, it's been an incredible cigar. Um, it's one that I go to. Um, I bought a box of Jericho Hill when uh, the day we found out if my oldest was a boy or girl, we did, you know, a gender reveal. And, uh, right. and, and I had two cigar boxes lined up. I had one, if it was going to be a girl and I had a box of Jericho Hill, if it was going to be a boy, which was my son, Jeremiah. And, uh, we found out it was going to be a boy, of course. So we opened up the, the Jericho Hill box and I That's have, awesome. I still have half the box, uh, saved so uh, cool. that I've been smoking uh, on occasion, different, at different points of celebration and everything. So, um, it, what was, uh, you know, that, that, and then obviously that, that, that cigar is inspired from, from Johnny Cash. I'd mentioned him a moment ago. Mm -hmm. Um, what was the significance of, okay, we've, we've built this great relationship. We've had these amazing cigars with Ernesto. Now we want to branch out to potentially other manufacturers. You find another, you know, again, stellar cigar maker to make a cigar for you. What was the, uh, what was the catalyst that ended up um, becoming that next step and the next progression as you grew this brand? It actually goes back to that that Central American tour in 2011, um, and we had met with Jaime and Pepin, and I give all credit to my friend Pete Johnson. He he orchestrated that meeting, and so you know, because I at that time we were just like looking at opportunities. So Pete set that meeting up with us, and you know, Jaime gave us samples and gave us the tour. It was gracious as as the day is long, and. Um, we walked away from there. And the reason why we, one of the reasons why we didn't go with that house initially was because at that time, there were just so many other brands that Pepin was making. He was not only making, you know, his stuff, but Pete stuff, Ashton. Um, and there was a lot of other brands under there. And I, we just felt like we'd be like, you know, seventh in line. We just didn't, you know, whereas with Ernie, we could be, we can kind of start from scratch and be one of the, the top. So, Anyway, fast forward to like 2014, um, Ernie was starting to do other stuff or it looked like he was going to do other stuff with other companies aside from us. And so we're like, well, maybe we should kind of hedge our bets and start to diversify a little bit. So I went back to Pete and I said, hey, do you think you could get us back in a, a meeting with with Jaime? He's like, yeah. And so in January of 14, <clears throat> I went back down there by myself and with actually Pete and Yanni were on that trip and we were all together. And went back down there to start what would become Las Calaveras. Mm -hmm. And so while we were down there, I had an idea for a cigar. And I pitched it to Jaime and I asked him if he had a particular wrapper. And, and he said, yeah, and he showed me all the pilones of it. And I said, well, I've got an idea. And um, the way I pitched it to him was I wanted to make a poor man's Padron. And he kind of smiled. <laughs> and I said, and that's kind of where the, the inspiration for the blend came. So we walked out of there with a few ideas and, and um, eventually we released, you know, Las Calaveras 2014 with the Garcias. And then at the trade show that year, we released Jericho Hill and wow. uh, it was a hit right away, you know? And, um, but I give, you know, so much credit and gratitude to Pete because without Pete, we went without Pete, you wouldn't have Jericho Hill, La Imperiosa. You wouldn't have the last nine renditions of Las Calaveras because he was, he was the guy that got us in the door. I, I love that you segued into Las Calaveras because I've I I love the series. I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, I have cigars going all the way back to 14, still do. I've kept mm -hmm. I've kept some every year. Um, for me, you got more than I do. 
for me, the 2014, <laughs> for I sure. I think that was the and there I had certainly smoked other limited edition cigars before that. And but for me, the 2014 mm-hmm. Las Calaveras was the one that I that is really etched in my memory. For whatever reason, it just really spoke to me, and I I really, I really loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was it was mm. just incredible. And every Vitola that was released, I just remember just every everything was just thoroughly enjoyable about those scars. And um, Thank you. what I've loved about this series, I John, I'll say this. I think that, and I've said this before on other shows and and, and other discussions. I, I think the only thing that rivals Pete's monster series in terms of like limited edition series is the Las Calaveras with mm-hmm. as much acclaim and, you know, notoriety, people seeking it, the the whole, the whole, you know, the whole yeah. story, if you will. Um, when you first brainchild, I mean, did you, I mean, was this part of the vision? Like, Hey, we want to create a series, maybe not comparing it to what Pete was doing, but we want to create a series that's going to be every year that, we're going to give something to, to our fans, so to speak, to look forward to. Was that, was that part of the, uh, none whatsoever, none whatsoever. I really, I kind of thought it might be a one and done thing. I really didn't have any idea that it would, it would get to the level where it got, um, you know, the whole idea was just to kind of pay homage to the people that we lost the year before. And that was as simple as that. Um, and then when it took off in 14, they're like, well, I guess we had to do it again. So it just became an annual thing. And so um, that's really, it just kind of just grew and grew. grew. And, um, you know, knock on wood still probably, if you look at the production, it would be, uh, it's hard to call it limited edition anymore. You know, it's it, the production numbers are pretty high. Um, but a lot of brands our size would be happy to sell that in a year. And the last two Las Calaveras that we did, we've sold out in less than a day. So it's 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 its own entity. It's like it's hard to call it an LE, even though it's an LE. But it, it's probably as far as brand recognition it might be our our top, you know. And but I give all credit to the Garcias. I mean, it's, it's like Pete told me back in fourteen, he's like, you know, if you start with good tobacco, he's like, our job as brand owners is just not to fuck it up. You know? <laughs> and um, that's true. You know, you're as good as the factories you work with, and we're just very fortunate to be working with people like the Garcias. Or like Ernesto and Tabacalera La Alianza, and now Noxa and you know Takanixa with Eradio. So uh, yeah, I mean, just very blessed to work with very talented people in this industry that make us look better than what we are. To be honest with you, my my last note of Las Calaveras is I remember in 2015 there was a movie that was released. It was in the James Bond series. It was called Spectre. And I don't have you have you had the chance okay. to have you had the opportunity to see it. No, so the, I, if if it's not a Disney film, for the, I probably <laughs> haven't seen it. I'm the same. I, really I get, get you, John. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm a there, big Frozen guy. I, I like Frozen. Me too. Yeah, I know Frozen and Frozen Two. Uh, which one is is the are yeah. you the OG or do you like I the, like do you like the sequel? You like the, yeah I the one, sequel. T- I I've seen them both. Yeah, I like the sequel too, though. I mean, like, you know, every now we're getting off target, but every we have a tradition at my house where every Friday night we we have movie night. And so what I do is I bring a mattress down to the like the little media room and AJ will camp out there and I'll camp out on the sofa. And 
I'll sleep down there with her and we'll watch a movie and my wife and I and, and AJ will have pizza and watch a movie and it's always the movie that AJ picks and so we end up watching Moana for the 13th time or Frozen <laughs> 2 or whatever and I just I love it man I just that's my favorite night of the week but so yeah to answer that's a long-winded way of saying no I have not seen Spectre so <laughs> anyway there's an opening montage that takes place in Mexico City during Dias de las Muertas right mm -hmm. and you'll love it I'll, I'll send you the scene because i think you'll appreciate it musically uh beautiful musical okay. number that takes place the scene and this uh, almost a somewhat of a dance right that's the parade of the the day of the dead and people are dressed in the traditional de las telas mortis the the face painting the mask similar to the the designs of, of the cigar right um uh the sugar skulls etc and everything and i remember seeing that in the theater right. and i remember watching the montage and i was like I'm going to go home and smoke a Los Calaveras. I'm going to do it. It just, it, 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 it <laughs> spoke cool. to me. It was like, and I, and I know, you know, uh, Dave Burke of Cigar Jukebox, uh, who, who's recently brought that over to. Yeah. Cigar yeah. Yeah. Breda. So Dave and I had a, uh, sure. uh, I guessed it on his show years later and we talked about, and we smoked Los Calaveras that day. And he said, what, what, what song do you think of? And I said, it's, the number one song that I think of when I think of Las Calaveras is this opening scene. I don't know. I don't know who the 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 composer is or who the music group is that does it. I just think of this opening scene from Spectre every time, every year, every That's time great. I open a box, every year I, I I think of that montage and and I and it also takes me back to to 2014 to the original first time that I smoked Las Calaveras and it's just, it's such a it's such a great memory for me and my cigar smoking journey. Uh, that plays such a huge part of it. And, and I know I'm not alone. Uh, so you've, I mean, you've created something so beautiful and in, in the fact that it's in, in memory of, of the, those yeah. loved lost is, is, is such a beautiful component to that. I appreciate that. It's, it's, it's a, it's a project we look forward to doing every year. Um, and it's kind of bittersweet because then you kind of go, okay, who's going to be on the band this year? Like who passed away last year, you know? And it's just like, but it's it was never meant to be like a mournful thing. It was always to celebrate the lives of these people that have passed on. So it's it's meant to be a celebratory thing as opposed to a mournful thing, which is why we didn't release it, you know, in October, Day of the Dead type of a thing. It was more to be like in the spring resurgence and all that. So it was very intentional in that in that regard. But um, yeah, we got the 2023s in production now, and um, I'm excited to get it out. I really am. I think awesome. I, every year I always think, okay, this is, you know, I, I, this is the one that's going to put the 14 away because the 14 is the grail. This one's going to, you know, and so I thought the 15 was better than the 14. Jaime thought the 15 was better than the 14. Um, but yeah, the 14, I guess, is always going to be special. So 17 was the one that kind of came close for me. Um, I can't even remember what that was. Uh, the, the green, I'm thinking of the color of the band. The green, the green band. That the was 17, green, right? I believe that was yeah. uh, San Andreas rap. Was it San yeah. Andreas? Yes. I think it was. Yeah. And then 18 was Habano. 19. I thought 19 was really good too. That was the one we did for Jono. Every year we've had four sets of initials except for 19. 19 was just a tribute to Jono. We put his initials and then two acronyms for make it happen and talk is cheap, which were two of his sayings. And then, so that was kind of a, a Jono thing. And I thought that blend was fantastic, but yeah, that it really, was good too. it did it didn't fire as, as much as I thought it would. And so, which, which actually was a blessing in disguise because I think in 19, the production had gotten up to 134, 135,000 cigars. And it took us about a month to sell it. 
And I'm like, it's not selling out like it used to. I said, you know what? We gotta, I'm going back to the numbers in 14. And in 2020, that's what we did. We we drew back the production back to the original 72,000 cigars. I remember, it was harder to find. It sold out. <laughs> yeah, it sold out like in hours. And then 21, same thing happened. 22, the same thing happened. So um, we'll see what happens this year. But um, yeah, it was, I remember one year, it was just, it was like, like Ticketmaster. It was like, okay, wait a second. What, what, what number are we at now? We, okay, send a text to the guys. They got to cut it off. They got to cut it off. It just was crazy. It's 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 a fun day for us. So, speaking of fun days, um, one of my favorite things that you do is Outlaw Day. Um, haven't done it. Yeah, we haven't done it since I think we did it for two years, and then we just we well, we couldn't do it because there was a broadleaf shortage. Right. And those two cigars that you're referring to, Tennessee Waltz and Yellow Rose, are both Connecticut broadleaf, and we just couldn't get production. I think the last shipment we got was in nineteen. So we didn't have enough to do an outlaw uh, lawless day. And um, so we took our foot off the gas on that. And, but now the end of last year, we got a, a shipment and then we got another shipment in um, earlier this year. And then I just saw Yanni at the TA and she said, you could do more this year. So we're going to keep getting Waltz and Rose out, but there won't be any official like lawless day because there's just not enough to go around. It's just, as soon as we get it, it's gone. So. And, and Buck, did Buck Island fall into that too as well? Buckeye lamb was uh, when we did for Ohio um, uh, at Miguel's request. And that was in 19. We did that with true estate. And um, then we just couldn't get it anymore from them. It was like, that was it. That's all you're going to get. So it was, we don't have Buckeye land around anymore. I have three left. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And it was, (laughs) it was a sentimental project for me too, because my, the genesis of that was my wife was born in Ohio. So I have a, place my heart for that so her maiden name is land so buckeye land is the name of the the ohio exclusive or was and um in another easter egg kind of a thing is like on that box you'll see small like roman numerals and it was the actual physical address of where she grew up in the house oh nice i love the little hidden the little hidden gems that you and a lot of a lot of your fellow cigar makers do and you guys do a great job with that the I think it wasn't until like six, uh, as much as I loved and adored the Lost Colorish Project, I don't think it was until like two years in maybe that I, that I knew the initials grabbed my attention, you know? Yeah. So I love, I love the little, the little gems you guys do with that. Um, So another project that's kind of taken off of, and this kind of leads into a question. I think you, you, you've answered on, uh, um, on your new show, Oz Heads with, uh, with Tim and everything. Cause I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people were worried you know, with recent events um, and everything that the Mil Diaz was going to go away. And what an incredible project that has been for you guys. What an incredible cigar. I, 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 yeah. If I have, I, I don't, I cannot recall meeting someone that hasn't liked it, um, which tells you a lot about how, how well it's beloved. It's, it's, it's something incredibly unique. Thank it's something you. incredibly unique to your portfolio too. I think, I don't think there's anything like, Hey, this is similar or this is like, or Hey, if you like this, you'll, it's it's a standalone, right. stand on its own, just great project. Um, um, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I I knew that that cigar was special when I smoked the the what became the final blend, which was in January of 2020. You know, and that was when the pandemic hit. So, ironically, that's like aside from being one of our top performers in our portfolio, it was also the cigar that we did not release at a trade show. 
we just it was organic right all of that took off organically and um it was yeah a very unique cigar and i was very proud of that that project and um but you know to address the elephant in the room it's nothing has changed about it we're still producing it um in fact oddly enough i didn't plan this but uh thaddeus from shipping just brought in a pre-release bundle um this is the Mildias Maranitos. Oh, wonderful. That is actually going to be released this month. So I just got that in from the factory. Um, and they look beautiful. Um, so yeah, no, we're continuing with that. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of lot of things happened in 22 that I wish didn't have to happen, but they did. Um, but we are continuing to work with Aradio Pichardo um, at Takanixa, which is his factory that he is now renamed. Um, and we're moving forward full steam ahead. So, but for the, you know, the second half of 22, we pretty much took our foot off the gas on that brand because of a lot of things that were going on behind the scenes and legal things and what have you, unfortunate. Um, and then we're just like, okay, come on, let's go. We got to get back on it. So that cigar is not going anywhere. It's a, it's a great cigar. And um, again, credit Aradio Pichardo for that. And um, we're excited about it. I'm excited for the Marinitos to come out. You know, this is this yeah, the story behind this cigar on a yeah, this is a six and an eighth by forty-eight. And I had wanted to do another Marinitos. Um, and so to kind of celebrate a radio a little bit, I asked him, you know, what was his favorite Vitola? And he told me six and eight forty-eight. And I'm like, all right, this is how we're gonna reintroduce the brand more or less. Um, but it's still selling, we're still shipping, it's it's going nowhere and it's doing great. Um the just so, so I'm 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 finishing up the Le Patissier that you've now moved production to the to the Noxa factory and everything. Um, Noxa, uh, yeah. The um, and it's smoking fantastic. I've really enjoyed this. Um, and uh, I know present companies obviously helped with that as well too. But it's just, it's I think it. Um, I really enjoyed it the other day when I smoked it. Like I said, for the first time from this factory, and then mm-hmm. um, it's just been um, just been a really really enjoyable experience. Um, yeah, and again, not to be like sure. repetitive, but all credits were Raul Disla and, and Gustavo Cura at Noxa because, I mean, I started that transition in March or April of 22. I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I'm like, okay, we're going to do a patissier, but I'm going to, eventually this is going to be in at Noxa. So I, I contacted Gustavo, which kind of came full circle to those meetings back in 11. And I said, hey, do you guys have any room in production? And he says, we would love to have, you know, crown heads as, as a part of what we're doing because terrific. he's like, it would give us some more credibility. We're just doing Steve's stuff. Um, Saka and I knew they're making great cigars for him. And um, it was just, we hit the ground running with those guys. I mean, Gustavo, people don't know. He also works for Liba tobacco company and, and pro Nixa and, He's one of the best tobacco brokers, if not the best, to me. Um, and he procures some of the best broadleaf, best tobaccos, right. period. And Raul Disla, I mean, Raul's fucking genius as far as blending. So um, I knew that that cigar was going to be a, a hit. I really did. So I'm very happy with it. I wish it it got more attention, and we're working on on doing that uh, because it's it's really a gem. I um. I was really excited from the nerd aspect. I was really excited because like, like you noted about how the work that they do and the, the, the pack they get specifically with Broadleaf. And when you said you were moving, I was like, oh man, that's going to be something special. 
I knew it. I just, and uh, yeah, I was really excited. Is. I was really excited about that, that particular move. Um, you know, we, we spoke about the Mil Diaz, just concerned, uh, uh, just considering some of the other uh, blends that you've had that were manufactured uh, at the t- factory formerly known as, uh, as Prichardo, um, but still mm-hmm. done by Prichardo, like the Siri E, for example, um, yeah. Juarez was the first project you did. You guys kind of kept that under wraps with the factory was at the time. Um, are right. those still going to be continued to be manufactured there? Is are there have there been any plans made or, or is that still kind Yo, of? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, okay. it's it's ongoing production. Uh, in fact, Juarez, we're actually working on a sampler, which will be out later, probably in the next couple of months, actually. Um, it'll be, this is kind of a hot take, but um, it'll be our first foray into like a fresh pack. So we're doing like a oh. fresh pack sampler of the four existing Juarez sizes and then one fresh pack exclusive size that we're calling Ferdinand, which is this little four by 58 bowl. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that's going to be coming out. So I'm excited for that. So get into those big um, gauges again, John, <laughs> you know, it's not for me, but um, <laughs> I, I get it. So we're, we're doing that. So Juarez is still full steam ahead. Nildea is full steam ahead. Siri E. I don't know. I mean, there's something about, I don't know if the CHC part confuses the consumer or what have you. I think it's a great blend, but, really hasn't been a, 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 a big performer for us, even though I think the cigar is fantastic. So I don't know what the future is for Siri E at this point. May repackage it, may, may just put it on hold. I don't know. But we're definitely focusing on uh, Mil Diaz Juarez out of uh, Takanixa, which is a radio's place. So, yeah. I remember uh, we exchanged uh, some some comments back and forth through Instagram about the Siri um, uh, Siri E. I, I took your advice and I listened mm-hmm. to the... Uh, the Van Halen uh, album and song while I was smoking it and tried to experience yeah. that and everything. And I, I, I really enjoyed that for, again, I enjoy music as we've kind of talked about earlier and everything. I enjoyed that experiment. I really did. It was, a, it was, a, it was an experience that I, 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 I could say I thoroughly enjoyed and, and could appreciate what you were, what you were going through. And you were it, it was definitely, how. yeah, for me, it resonated because it was like a sonic metaphor and, but it may have been a little bit too, too deep down the rabbit hole for, the average consumer and they just kind of dumbed it down to the Eddie Van Halen cigar, which was not my intent at all. It was really sonically inspired by that solo. Right. Um, which is where the E stood for eruption, not Eddie. Um, so there's a lot of miscommunication, misbranding, miscues. So I, while I think the blend is excellent, I think that maybe in the future, sometime down the road, we might repackage it, dumb it down a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But right now the, the two horses out of that particular factory Will continue to be Juarez and uh, Diaz. The the unicorn that I've I've always wanted to find, um, and I still it's I th- it's the only cigar that you've made that I've never smoked, and it was one I wanted to try was the WW that you guys did the limited edition, and I was never I was uh, never able to get it. Uh, I'm sure that they're that all was, all gone at this the point. Double W, yeah, that was um, yeah, that was from the Garcias. We did that for Arrington Vineyards, all right. Yeah, that's that's well well gone. That was a yeah. great little smoke. That was really good. That was a fun fun project to do. I remember actually going out to Arrington for the debut of that. That was fun. That was a good good little moment in time. But yeah, I don't know where you would find that. Yeah, sure those are all they're, they're, the, yeah I was gonna say yeah. they're probably all gone at this point. The production size and everything. But it's it's the one that'll it's yeah. the one that eluded me. It's the one that did it. It's the one. <laughs> if I had some in this warehouse. I, I'll send you some, but I, I highly doubt that we have anything. <laughs> oh, that, at all. that would be very kind. But, but yeah, um, uh, 
don't want to put too many eggs in that basket. Like you said, they're probably all smoked at this point. Uh, yeah. But, John, we're, we're coming up on to uh, the end of our time here in just a little bit. I just have a couple of more questions. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for today's sure. conversation. Um, it's, it's meant oh, it's been a blast. Um, so wanted to go into, we were kind of talking about that moment with the Siri E and, and it was inspired, but you know, you had a lot of inspirational things over the years. Headley Grange has that kind of similar inspiration. Jericho Hill, we mentioned mm-hmm. as well that the, the lyric and, uh, the, the infamous cash song as well. And, yeah. um, we didn't even talk about JD Howard reserve, which is still one of my favorites as well. I loved that cigar. I uh, love the story mm-hmm. behind it. The historian in me, um, you guys gave yeah, homage cool. to, to 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 Tennessee and to uh, to Jesse James, so that was really cool. Jesse um, James, yes, sir. But um, wanted to go into uh, this is our what we call our asylum moment, and of course, it is brought to you by Asylum Cigars. <laughs> so, um, refuge is more than just a physical place; it can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for asylum cigars, so light up an asylum and choose your refuge. Now, John, this segment is all about, and I'm sure you've had dozens, if not hundreds, of these moments in your in your time with smoking cigars and everything. Um, but I, cigars are very community driven, right? You talked about the team at CAO mm-hmm. and how it was like a brotherhood, a fraternity was the word you used and mm-hmm. uh the amount the countless events that you've attended and been a part of trade shows everything it's it's a community thing but every so often we get to experience a moment with the cigar that has nothing to do with people it's just us it's just us that cigar in the moment we could be listening to a song watching a movie on family movie night or seemingly just staring into the abyss for whatever reason if you What's mm-hmm. what's a moment that comes maybe not your favorite? I'm not saying you to go back into the chambers that much, but what's a moment that comes to mind where it was just you, the cigar? What was that moment about? And what if you can recall what cigar were you smoking? What frame it up for me again, Bear? Like what a, a moment where it was just like you and a cigar, you like no one, no one else was there. It was just you, the cigar. And it, the, the moment was about something in particular. It could have been about celebrating something. Maybe it was just, you know, a moment of reflection, you know, what was tough, that? Tough question for me because, and I'll tell you why that's a tough question for me because all the cigars that I smoke are here in this office. Like I don't, that's the one thing that's if, if there's a negative about what I do, um, I don't have that that uh, luxury of like going, being home or going to the golf course or whatever and sitting there and smoking a cigar. You know, I just, I don't smoke when I'm out of the office because when I'm home, I'm home. And like I'm husband and dad and like, there's no, there's really no me time at that point. It's like my time is my family's time. So sure. I don't really have a lot of those moments to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, and most of those times were like, it was like an aha moment where like I smoked a cigar. Like, oh, that's it was usually like in the company of like Ernesto or somebody, you know, and I'm, I'm down at the factory. Like I remember smoking what became the final blend for Headley Grange. We were leaving this Italian restaurant, ironically, in Santiago after lunch. I got in the car with Ernie. Ernie lit a cigar, handed it back to me, so smoke this. And I smoked it and I was like, holy shit, this, this is it. What is this? And that's when that's the became the final and that that kind of moment sticks out in my mind. But there's not a lot of me on the beach 
sitting there smoking a cigar and you know taking it all in i don't really get those those times to be perfectly honest with you man unfortunately but that's that's the price to pay i suppose um yeah i don't i don't do that a lot <laughs> it's it's <laughs> i don't want to be like poor me like it's all work but it, it is it's it's you know that's the majority of it um i don't really have a lot of those times like most like we make cigars for people to do exactly what you just described to like have that moment of reflection on their you know balcony on their porch or whatever and they're sitting there having a, a spirit and drinking and enjoying and that's that's nice but i that's not what i do so i don't know i uh well i mean if we could put a twist on it i mean that sure i think that this the you your moment of asylum is is you know isn't found in the cigar it's found with the family and so that's your that's your moment of refuge so yeah, yeah definitely i mean that's no question uh that's those are my most cherished moments or the you know because I, I always think about it, it's like you know when you're in your deathbed are you gonna go god i wish i would have smoked this or drank that you know it's probably like do you really want to say i wish i would have spent more time with my kids or my wife or what and i don't want to have those regrets when i go i want to be able to say okay i i left it all in the field i did everything i could be with my family be a good guy be a good dad you know and, and sometimes we fall short sometimes we're we we, we make good on that so but um, those are the, the quality times that I enjoy. But I mean, there's certainly moments in my memory that there are certain cigars that stand out to me. And mm -hmm. but when those moments occurred, I'm usually in the company of other people in the industry. Sure. You know, I've I, I've uh, in a, in a way I've been kind of jealous of of the time that you spend with your family too. Like I remember, you know, like I said a couple of years ago when I had the first opportunity to interview you, we we were talking about family. And you were saying, yeah, your mm -hmm. family was there and, um, you know, and, yeah. and, and I, I really admired you, uh, for the, you know, you have that, you have that cutoff and that celebration. That's why it's taken 246 takes for to make this happen. And again, I'm so <laughs> grateful for this opportunity, um, uh, to be able to do yeah. it. Um, not listen, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, and I got to give a lot of credit to my, my partner, to Laura, my wife, um, she'll never see this but i mean i, I gotta give her credit anyway because when we when we decided we were going to take that jump into being married it was like we established boundaries and ground rules and it was like i remember her saying look i want i want a husband i don't want somebody that's gonna be on the road like because at that time when, she, when we met i was still a cao and yeah i was traveling a lot and yeah i was doing the cao rock and roll tour and i was in all these different places and which was a gas it was fun but when it was time to settle down and, and start a family and be a husband, I was like, okay, I said, you know, this is my commitment to you. And so ever since then, like if I go somewhere with trade show, TAA, PCA, in-store, whatever, it's like, that's, that's on my rider. Like I'm bringing them with me and um, you know, which, which has been a blessing, you know, it's, it's great. It, you know, it's hard. Um, and it's a sacrifice for them too. You know, it's not easy to just pack up and, go wherever for a week or something, but you know, um, that's what we do. That's how we manage it. And it doesn't work for everybody, but for us, that's the way it works. And it works for my family and there's some sacrifice. Like, yeah, I could go out and do in stores and be on the road and probably, you know, the brand could be, I had this conversation with somebody in the industry. They said, you know, if you were doing in stores, your brand would be like, you know, at this level instead of here or whatever. I said, yeah, probably, but at what price? 
You know, what is it? What are you worth sacrificing? Right. And I'm not, I don't want to sacrifice my, my marriage and my family for that. And for some people it works, but for me, that's not in my cards. So that's why uh, I'm not as visible as others in the industry, but uh, I'm okay with that. I think, um, I mean, it, it really, like I said, it, in a, in a way I've, I've really been jealous of it, John. I really have. Um, and it, 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 it just has such a negative connotation word, but maybe inspiring is probably a more applicable term, I think, because I, 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 yeah, I admire it. I really do. I think it's something we should all, as a parent, it's something we should, it, we should it's something we should really aspire to. It, and it's really, know. it's just a matter of establishing your values and adhering to those values you establish. It's as simple mm -hmm. as that. Like when you stick, put a, stick in the ground and say okay this is how it's going to be then you have to have the integrity to follow through with that and say okay this is how it's going to be and there, there's been you know forks in the road throughout the last 10 11 years where i was getting some you know pressure from from work to go hey you, you need to go just go out a little bit just go go do this in store do that in store and i'm like no i'm not going to go back on my word this is my word is my bond to my wife and that that is much more important to me than you know uh, anything I could ever do at Crown Heads, you know, and that's just the way it is until anything else changes, which I don't foresee it changing. So um, it's been it's been tough. It hasn't always been easy, but um, you know, I don't regret it at all. I don't. I just um, I, I know what my values are, and I just I stick to them, and I know what I you know as long as I always put you know God, wife, family, business. That's always been. Like put that in stone and that's when i have to make a decision about something i see how it lines up with those values and then i make the decision there you go um i know your your children are very young um have you you know well, one this... of them is but the other one isn't <laughs> um <laughs> he just you... called me yeah my son's graduating college actually oh my gosh really so, crazy uh um, yeah man yeah, Man, time it. flies. Unbelievable. Um, have, have, yes, sir. Has there been yeah. any thought or discussion or anything about the the next generation of Huber, uh, being in the business? <laughs> like this is such a family oriented business, you know, industry, right? Everyone talks about generations deep. Yeah. Stuff, so it's always something I'm curious about. I don't know. It's, it's well, I can tell you that my son is has no interest in it. Never did express interest in it, which is fine. He he's his own man. Um. My daughter, AJ, she's seven, going to be eight, and she loves coming to the office. And she's like, I like the way this cigar smell, Daddy. And I'm going to design a hat for you, Daddy. And I'm going to. Oh, it's you awesome. Know, so who knows? <laughs> you know, it's like I never, I never want to influence my kids to, to do something. I want my message to my son and it will be to my daughter is be what you came here for. Like whatever's calling you, go do that and be the best at that. So if somebody's calling you to be a lawyer, do that. If somebody's calling you to be a gardener, be the best gardener you could be, whatever. I mean, you just got to like be what you came here for, you know, and it's not for me to tell you what you came here for. You got to find that yourself. And that was a lesson I learned personally, you know, I mean, God, <laughs> no doubt, but um, I found it fortunately. My seven-year-old calls these gagars. That's what he's always called them. Gagars. Uh, nice. And uh, nice. one day, uh, this was not too long ago, I said, Daddy, I want to be what you when you grow up. I want to do what you do. And I was like, 
you know, in my day That's job, I'm, cool. a, I'm a salesperson. So it's, it's very, it's not very, my wife's right. a zookeeper. She's got the fun job. So he's like, I want to do what you guys do. That is like, a cool I, I want to be a zookeeper. And he's like, I want to be what you do, daddy. And so like, it prompted me to ask this question. I'm like, so what is my son's perception of what I do? So this is, this is comical. I love this. Like Jeremiah, I was like, what, right. so what, what, what does daddy do? What do I do? It's like, oh, you smoke good cars and talk to your friends. <laughs> That's my wife's perception of what I do. She, oh, yeah. I mean, we're, what, 12 years into this thing. And, and my wife thinks that, you know, all I do is smoke cigars and, and post pictures on Instagram, you know. And I'm like, you know, there's a little bit more to it to grow a business from 66 stores to 1,200 and from X amount in revenue to X amount in revenue. Um, you can't really do it by just smoking cigars and posting pictures on Instagram. So. There's a lot of work that, that goes on behind the scenes for sure. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, that old adage about the duck, how you just see the duck going like this, but underneath the water, his feet are like going like, like hell. Yeah. A thousand miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's that's how this business is. There's a lot that goes into it. And especially when you start doing it with four different factories and managing purchase orders and projections and timing of dropping this and that and cash flow and all of those things that go into it. It's it's at the end of the day, it is a business, um, but I love the business that we do. So, but it, it's a lot of work. There's no question about it. It's just, it's hard to convey to somebody, like even to my wife, like, you know, um, unless you're here 24 seven watching what we do, you don't, don't know what really goes into this business, but there's a lot of moving parts. And then when you add the, the layer on top of it, it is you're dealing with an agricultural product that has uncertainties and, and yields change yeah. and crops that change. It's, Broadleaf shortages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how do you plug in this whole, okay, we, we missed this last year. Why do we plug it in here? It's, it's tough, but um, you know, fortunately we have a great team. You know, it's not just me, obviously it's, it's Mike, it's Adam, it's Miguel, it's our sales guys. Um, it's our factory partners, our retail partners. Um, so it's takes a village for sure. Absolutely. Well, John, that leads us to our last question of the conversation, of course, and that's sure. uh, always our, our curveball segment, which is brought to you by Dunbart Tobacco and Trust. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter. Since the company's inception, Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. Eight, count them up, eight consecutive years on the consensus top three. Congratulations to our friend, Mr. Steve Sokka. So um, you kind of alluded to this. You, you actually took this and you had no idea this was coming john so this is interesting um i actually had a question about hats um and you had mm -hmm. mentioned if you you had said earlier in this conversation you're like if i hadn't gone in the cigar industry i might be designing hats so funnily enough the curveball question isn't much of a curveball because it has to do with hats and creating them so <laughs> it you've created uh some of my most beloved uh cigar swag hats uh i think um yours is probably the the ones that i definitely wear the most frequently uh if not almost, not almost exclusively, um, nothing against any other cigar brands. I just love the way they fit and they fit my big head. Like we talked about and everything, but if you had to create a, uh, if you had to create a hat for mm -hmm. anything else, what would it be? And so I'll give you some examples. Would it be for a sports team? Would it be for a musical group? Would it be for an entity, um, a brand specific? I'm showing you this for a reason. Oh goodness. Here we go. See this file. This file has everything that's, either been designed that's in production that's been made that's waiting to be made that's this is what i've done so yeah i take it seriously we, there's a guy actually uh brian roberson shout out to brian he is an avid 
a collector of our hats and he buys literally every drop that we have. And he sent me a message about a month ago and said, I now have over a hundred in my collection of your hats. And I'm like, I couldn't even believe we did over a hundred, but we, you see that file. Yeah. It's something we've done. Insane. It's fun. I mean, I say that I would be designing hats if I wasn't doing this. Well, I also do design hats. <laughs> I was going to um, say. So, yeah, it's a bit of both. So, who, what would I design? God, for what or for who? What was the question again? So, I mean, I get some examples. I get, there's no wrong answer here. You can answer it however you okay. want to. Um, it, it, I sent, mentioned, like, would it be for a sports team or would it be for a musical group or maybe an entity like you? You, you said St. Jude uh, a few minutes ago, talking about some of your family's charitable work when you were growing up or, you know, I would, would want to do it for my own, own, like my own brand, my own line, my own design, like, you know, like to be like the, the LVMH of headwear or something, you know, I, just to have your own label. That's what I would want to design. I wouldn't want to design for somebody else. Crown Heads, I guess, is our own label. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just I wouldn't want to do a hat for that company or that i want to do a hat for this company you know the the vision i have for this brand so i don't know if that answered the question adequately enough well, but um i did have this follow-up because i've thought about minor league baseball is known for their fun quirky theme nights and they do yeah. all sorts of things across this country which is you know stuff that you know miguel and i really love and everything and we've got massive collections of both crowned heads hats and sports teams and yeah i'm hats are part of our life all three of us um mm -hmm. and given your relationship you know with new era and some of these hat companies and things like that i mean has anyone has a minor league team ever approached you i mean i would if i'm going to put a bug in someone's ear i mean let's let's do that let's make that happen has a minor league team ever approached you to design something because i think you do you do a killer job thank you um i mean again work with a great manufacturer uh, derek who's my rep for dome i mean he's I met him by happenstance six years ago. And um, it was funny because a, a mutual friend uh, sent me a hat. And I said, I, I said Max, where, who did this hat for you? And he said, oh, there's this company here and here's the rep. And I'm like, uh, I got to meet this guy. So one day Derek comes into the office and he has this duffel bag of hats. And we sat down and started showing me all these hats. And he says, you can design everything here. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you can do the eyelet, you can do the crown, the undervisor, the button, the this, the that, 3D versus flat, snapback, fitted, what, you know, and I was just like, what? And I said, what's the MOQ? And he told me, and I'm just like, you and I are going to be good friends. And ever since that day, we have, I mean, I, there's not a day that goes by where I'm not texting Derek some new idea, but I'll, I'll just literally sketch it out and send it to him. And then his design guy will send it back to me and I'll tweak it and I'll change the eyelet or I'll change the under or whatever. So it's fun. It's just, it's a creative outlet for me. And uh, again, the the quality of the product, it goes back to the manufacturers, not me. So, uh, um, you know, makes us look better than what we are, like I say, but um, it's, it's just a creative outlet. And again, going back to what I said about the ethos of crown heads, it was like, it has to be quality. So whether we're putting the crown heads name on a cigar or a t-shirt or a hat, it's gotta be quality. It can't just be like, Oh, give me that blank and I'll stitch our name on it. And then we'll, you know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted it to be, you know, on par with the thank best you. in that category. Thank so. you. From the depths of my heart. Thank you. <laughs> I love just, it. Yeah. Um, 
John, again, um, I'm finishing up the Le Patissier here and to, we are finished with our conversation. Um, I, it, again, I, I'm eternally grateful for this opportunity. Um, it has meant so much to me. I don't it's think I'll pleasure. ever, ever properly be able to convey it to you. Um, it's well, just been, it's hopefully been it won't be 592 before we do it again. <laughs> so absolutely. I, I would love to make this happen again. And I, I, there's so much I didn't get to, but I loved our conversation for, uh, for all that it was. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your journey um, stories about My pleasure. Your, your business, your family, your loves in life, uh, all things, family, cigars, hats, and whatnot, and music, of course. Um, it's just been an absolute blast. pleasure. Thank you. Um, Thank so you. for everyone Thanks out for there, mind. yes, sorry, I keep I keep cutting you off. I'm sorry. Um, for no, everyone no. out there, we appreciate all the likes, shares, and comments. Keep them coming. We hope everyone has a, a wonderful Easter weekend. Happy Easter to everybody. And uh, we thank you for all of your time and uh, all those likes, shares, and comments. You can check out our YouTube channel, which is, of course, Elos Fumar. Hit the subscribe button. If you are a fan of us on Facebook, hit the like button. That's where our calendar of upcoming guests, like Mr. John Huber this week, uh, will be, as always. And you can always check us out mostly live. Uh, this yeah, For those people that didn't figure this out, this will be this is broadcasted on sunday but we uh we recorded this ahead of time and that's and uh but uh, mostly live every sunday night uh and this will be uh on sunday as well so we look forward to all of those likes shares and comments during that time if you're listening to us wherever you listen to podcasts later on whether that be on apple Podcasts, spotify google play podbean or wherever you listen to podcasts be sure you hit the download subscribe and review button if you are a subscriber do me a favor hit unsubscribe but don't forget to hit resubscribe because that helps my numbers so that i can get great guests like john huber whenever i want so thank you so much for all of that for everyone out there I'm Bear Duplissy, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. He's John Huber of Crown Heads, and guess what, guess what, everybody? We'll see you next time.